Hi, everyone. Welcome back to season three of the Next Academy podcast, where we focus on construction leadership, brand growth, and staying on offense. I'm Cody Phillips, joined as always by my co-host, Western PA NECA Executive Director and Next Academy co-creator, Chad Jones. First, I'd like to thank the 2020 foundational sponsors who power the Next Academy, Graybar, Southwire, Milwaukee Tool, and ABB for their great support. For those of you who are first-time listeners, thank you for joining us. The Next Academy was specifically designed for union construction executives and the unique challenges they face. Next is an intimate 12-month training ground built on four foundational concentrations, enabling leadership, building vibrant organizations, innovation and disruption for a VUCA world, and lastly, negotiating for a better future. It is an empirically-based curriculum, leveraging modern technology to deliver the most user-friendly experience for each participant. The overarching goal of Next is to help to help each and every participant, each of our contractors become more sustainable and profitable long into the future. The feedback from our participants has been overwhelmingly positive and I encourage you to consider walking alongside your peers on this leadership journey. We've now had over 150 electrical and mechanical contracting companies and over 300 participants from California to Boston and everywhere in between. To learn more, I encourage you to check out our website, www.nextleadershipacademy.org. Before we dive into the sauce, breaking down Ryan Holiday's classic, The Obstacle is the Way, let's hear a word from Lisa Wampler and John Greenhall for our Coenseglius Legal Minute, where they explain the complexities of force majeure clauses. For contractors experiencing delay and cost impacts due to COVID-19, force majeure clauses can be useful tools, but they're not without limitation. A force majeure clause is a risk allocation provision for delays caused by a particular set of circumstances which are outside of a party's control that would render performance either impossible or commercially impracticable. Also known as the acts of God clause, a force majeure provision traditionally covers catastrophic or otherwise unexpected events like fire, strikes, adverse weather, or other issues outside of the contractor's control. Because courts are often reluctant to treat force majeure provisions as a get-out-of-jail-free card, they interpret such provisions very narrowly. It is important to make sure that the list is expansive enough to properly protect the subcontractor's interest. So the inclusion of words such as epidemic or pandemic and government-mandated shutdowns should be included to address the impacts caused by the coronavirus. In addition, the typical remedy when the force majeure clause is invoked is either excusing the performance of one party or getting a time extension. So consider adding terms that allow for an equitable adjustment in costs for delay. Including an escalation clause will also bolster your chances of recovering from material and labor cost increases associated with the current pandemic. Without a force majeure clause in place, in some jurisdictions, both the owner and contractor share the risk. But in many others, the risk falls on the shoulders of the contractor for the increased costs caused by material shortages 
and higher prices and project completion delays due to these unexpected and unavoidable events outside of their control. In such a case, a standard delay clause in the contract may provide the legal ammunition you need to advance a claim for impacts. Just make sure that you are following the requisite notice requirements. This has been another Cohen Seglius Legal Minute with Lisa Wampler and John Greenhall. Stay safe, everyone. Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Oh, have I got your attention now? Have I got your attention now? What's up, Chad? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, buddy. We are almost, I guess, a month from our last podcast, and it does appear that the clouds are beginning to part and a resemblance of business is upon us. Yeah, which I think is good news. Um, this whole thing's been kind of a blur. I actually think, believe it or not, for some reason, I feel like it's gone fast. I don't know why, but I feel like the, the weeks kind of tick by. And in the beginning, when you hear something like, uh, we may be out of work until May. You're like, there's no way. How is that even possible? But then before you know it, it's it's May, and uh, <laughs> somehow somehow we're here. But I'm, I'm glad to hear that work's opening back up, and it seems to be uh, a promising outlook. No, I completely agree with you. Uh, this book that we're going to talk about today, The Obstacle is the Way, couldn't have been a more timely selection by you talks about the timeless art of turning trials into triumphs. And this book is by Ryan Holiday. I'm curious as to how you stumbled onto this little gym and, and why you chose it uh, for our podcast this month. So uh, a, a, f- a friend of mine had just ordered it, saw it on his uh, table, and he pointed it out to me and asked if I had ever read it, and the answer was no. And uh, this is a gentleman that spends, uh, he's, he, he's a golfer. He spends a decent bit of time on his, on his mental game and his mental picture. Um, I flipped through a couple pages and I was kind of amazed at the fact that the book was written, um, in 2017. Mm-hmm. But I think as you found out when you're reading it, it's almost as if the author wrote it, uh, for the time of a pandemic. No, absolutely. And I had actually read ego is the enemy. Uh, but I had never read this book. I'd heard about it, and I'm really glad that you brought it to the forefront. It is a great book. It's an easy read, 200 pages. And Ryan has a unique way of turning a subject like stoicism that is quite scary for many of us into an easily digestible and actionable leadership guidebook, even for uh, somebody like me. Uh, I loved it. I encourage all of you listening today to pick it up. We are stuck, stymied, frustrated, but it needn't be this way. There is a formula for success that's been followed by icons of history, from John D. Rockefeller to Amelia Earhart to Ulysses S. Grant to Steve Jobs, a formula that showed them how to turn obstacles into opportunities. Faced with impossible situations, they produced the outstanding triumphs we all seek. These men and women were not exceptionally brilliant, lucky, or gifted. 
Their success came from timeless philosophical principles laid down by a Roman emperor who struggled to articulate a method of excellence in any and all situations. This book reveals that formula in a new way and shows us how we can turn our own adversity into advantage. Chad, I think you couldn't have picked a more timely book to review um, with the great challenges we find ourselves facing as an industry and as a country here in April 2020. Well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed um, the book as well, Cody. And I think that a couple of things that jump out to me that remind me of other people. You just read off a, a list of individuals there that um, possessed um, a certain talent. And one of the things that it seems that was is consistent with them, and even some folks that aren't even mentioned in that list, is their ability to more or less cancel out speculation. Um I'm guilty of this at times, and and I would imagine a lot of our listeners are um, that we build up speculation. We we look at something and we begin to build a narrative or perceive it a certain way, and it, it and it provides or builds more obstacles, quite frankly, in our execution. And, and the list that you just read off, the book points out story after story and example after example of how these individuals removed speculation and continued to chip away at whatever it was that they were doing. Yeah, no, I think you're right in the, you know, we talk about dealing with the facts and owning your circumstances and, and not speculating and dealing in truth. And I pulled five lessons from the book that I think are of great value to the listeners. And the first one is obstacles prove opportunities for growth. And I quote, 2,000 years ago, Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius, then the most powerful man on earth, sat down to write himself a note, likely in response to some frustrating people he was dealing with. In that note, he told himself that their frustration was actually an opportunity for him to practice virtue. He reminded himself, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Basically, Everything that happens to us is a chance to practice excellence, even if it's not in the form we originally intended. That's why the obstacle is the way. Yeah, and the concept here, um, if, you were to, if you were to sit back and say, okay, there's a lot of stories here, there's a lot of ex- examples and lessons, what's the general consensus? What you just read is at the heart of every story in this book and that our actions may be impeded but there can be no impeding our intentions or dispositions. And that's the one thing that the book proves time and time again, that these gentlemen, whether it was Edison or it was Steve Jobs, or it was Amelia Earhart or John D. Rockefeller, that time and time again, there were blocks in their way. There were, there were issues with what they were trying to accomplish, but they never aborted. They just kept chipping away at what they were doing. Yeah. The list of, of folks going back in history um, that he uses as examples in this book is, I, I just love that. You know, I think anytime you're facing challenges and you can look back in history to those that have overcome them before you, uh, it, it gives you a great roadmap to how to do things and also provides you with great inspiration. Number two lesson that I pulled was our perception of the world dictates our actions. The essence of Stoic philosophy is distilled into three disciplines, perception, action, and will. How we think about things, what we do about them, and how we accept or endure that which we cannot change. 
it's my opinion that perception and belief really does dictate the way we see much of the world. But it's important that when facing obstacles that we need to be objective. Um, we need to be able to control our emotions. We need to be able to step back and have perspective. You know, we need to focus on the controllables in every situation and the perception of the world that we live in and who we are really dictates those actions. And it's important for the listener to understand that there, there's an underlying um, practice going on in this book, and it is the practice of stoicism. And much of the book is is based on the writings of Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, and Seneca. And I think that what what you really need to take away from it is that all of these things, whether it's steadying your nerves or practicing objectivity, um, the preparation to act, these are all things that are practiced. They're honed over time. It's not something that you simply say, hey, think about how you're perceiving uh, somebody that you're talking to and just be mindful of it. It's continually practiced in order to um, hone the skill. And I, I think of in, in the topic that you're talking about with our perception, um, they point out in the book, the 16th century samurai swordsman, Miyamoto Musashi, who won countless fights against feared opponents, even multiple opponents in which he was swordless. The the book talks about this particular fighter who became very skillful in only perceiving what was in front of him. Um, the perceiving eye is weak, he wrote. The observing eye is strong. And so someone coming into the arena to fight him could have uh, a history of, of one fights and battles and medals and all kinds of acclaim. But this samurai fighter would simply take what his eye saw in front of him this is just a man in front of me. This is a man who has one sword in front of me. Um, and he took all of the other things that his mind would place on that person and took it away from that fighter and faced just what was in front of him. Yeah, I think that can help too with just performance in general. I think that's a great lesson for us with regard to whether it's whether you're scared of uh, public speaking um, which I know many of us face great challenges with, or uh, whether you're nervous about taking an exam or whether um, you have a sporting event coming up. A lot of times that fear that we build up is the perception from that perceiving eye that Chad just discussed and really not being objective. When it comes down to it, um, frankly, you think people care much more than they do. And when you think about that in our world, um, Certainly in the labor relations world, if, if you're listening out there, think of how many times you've walked into a meeting, a uh, negotiation, and you have built in your mind what the other side wants. Right. You magically know what the other side wants, and you have all the reasons why they want it. And you're convincing not only yourself, but your, your side of the bargaining table, here's what they're going to do. I'm telling you, they want this, and here's why they want it, and then they're going to ask for this. And those are the things we really got to be careful about because we've, we've already built the other side of the table's narrative in our mind, and it very well may not be true. And so can you become skillful at listening, just walking in with no, pre no preconceived notion of what they want? You may have an idea dollar-wise. I'm not saying that you're naive to it, but I'm saying eliminating all of the barriers, walking in and just sitting down and listening, taking the meeting for what it is and extracting what they're saying and only taking that 
and working off that and taking our our speculation, there's that word again, mm-hmm. off the table and, and, and removing that. And I think that that's a lot of what the stoicism and the writing in this book and some of these examples is getting to. Yeah, uh, the third lesson from the book that I, I wanted to pass on, it is necessary to accept that which we cannot change. We've all heard that. But it is so, so true. The key to successful action is making the distinction between what you control and what you do not control. Indeed, ancient Greek philosopher Epictetus said that this is our chief task in life. Separating the two is essential for being effective. When you eliminate worrying about, thinking about, scheming about the things outside of your control, like other people's opinions, the weather, the market, the coronavirus, it frees you up to focus 100% on what you do control, which are your actions, your emotions, and your responses. This goes a little bit back to the equation that I love, E plus R equals O. You know, you have an event and you have an outcome that you're really looking to have happen from that event. But the most important thing in that equation is the R, the way you respond. The best example uh, um, I like of that, and it's not one from the book, but it is, it's an example of what the, the author is talking about and what you're speaking to right now about what's within your control and what's without. And it goes back to... Uh, old college football coach, big time college football talking to his team. And he puts up on the video projector, um, what Saturday is going to be look like. And he, he, he shows pictures and video footage of the parking lot and the tailgate area and the smoke rising from the grills and all the people. He shows pictures of the band coming, running into the stadium. And he shows pictures of the student section. They're going to be on the road. Um, he shows pictures of the tunnel that they'll come out and how the students hang over that tunnel and throw marshmallows at them. And he shows pictures of 100,000 people plus in the stadium that'll be booing them when they take the field. He shows all kinds of pictures of the atmosphere. And then he shows a picture of a plain grass field. And he says, this is, this is you. All this other stuff has nothing to do with the outcome of this game. This is noise outside of, of what we're here to do. This is you. We'll be on this sideline. They'll be on that sideline. The field's 100 yards long. It doesn't change from our practice field. This is all you have to worry about on Saturday. This is the part you control, not the fans, the students, the tailgaters of the band and all the noise coming out of the tunnel. This is you. Wow. Is that not true, right? I mean, and you think there's so many scenarios, I'm sure as a listener out there, there's so many scenarios in your own life where it's just so hard to accept those things that we can't change. But if you get to that place in your life where you're really detaching and analyzing the situation for what it is, man, does it free you up. I mean, it really does. So I encourage you all out there, really take lesson three to heart and try your best uh, to accomplish that feat, no matter how hard it is. Uh, The fourth lesson that I want you to take away is how you do anything is how you do everything. And this has become a a popular catchphrase, especially in the sporting world. Uh, There is a line from Rolls-Royce co-founder Sir Henry Royce that he had engraved on his mantle. Whatever rightly done, however humble, is noble. The Stoics were big on duty. They believed the idea that how you do anything is how you do everything. It doesn't matter if you're just starting out in an internship, if you're making smoothies uh, to pay for your side hustle, 
or your clothing line that you're trying to get off the ground, or if you're the executive of the biggest contracting company in the world, you know, every task should be treated as essential. Everything should be done right. And to me, it's about doing it the right way the first time. It's about taking pride in whatever you do. And, uh, you know, I just think it's a great lesson that comes from the book. It's a great reminder for me and for all of us that how you do anything is ultimately how you do everything. And that starts early in the morning and ends late at night. And in the middle is that dash, right? We talk about when, when, you, uh, when you're born is a number and when you end is a number. And in the middle of that is a dash on your tombstone. Well, that dash is your life. And ultimately, how you do anything is how you do everything and make the most of that dash. Yeah, and I think everything in this book ties together, Cody, a little bit. And the piece that comes to mind there when, when you talk about that that I think ties closely to it is building your inner citadel, which they speak to in the book. And this is, this is about, again, working on yourself and practicing and building yourself up, that these things don't just happen Theodore Roosevelt talked about life was like an arena, and he was a gladiator. In order to survive, he needed to be strong, resilient, fearless, ready for anything, and he was willing to risk great personal harm and expend massive amounts of energy to develop that hardness. You'll have, a far, you'll have far better luck toughening yourself up than you ever will trying to take the teeth out of a world that is at best indifferent to your existence. I love that quote because I think that I, again, um, put myself in this position. I'm really trying to practice this because I'm very guilty of it. When things don't necessarily go the way I want them to go, I get mad. Um, it's just maybe it's a competitive spirit, <laughs> but yeah. I get angry. I don't like it. And I think a lot of people can identify with that. And so what do you do when you get mad? You begin to try to direct. You begin to try to sculpt and create. And I think there's a way that you can still be um, your best and you can still be competitive and driven, but realize that you're not the director of this thing and that these events are going to continually change. And all you need to do is adjust your performance and, and direct those energies in the right way. I don't think it's passive. I don't think it's turning, turning your back on something that you think's right. I'm not, I'm not saying, um, leaving your principles or your core, not one of these individuals did, they kept chipping away, but just understanding that, you're not always going to be uh, the director of outcomes. Yeah, things rarely go according to plan, and we rarely get what we think we deserve. And yet people consistently deny these two facts and are shocked by what happens. Um, you know, to not fall into that trap, you know, the Stoics actually talked about an exercise. You know, it was almost a premeditation of evils. I've, I've read books. I know Tim Ferriss does something called fear setting. You know, you've heard of goal setting, obviously, but he, he does fear setting, which he really does meditate on what will not go right, what certainly will go wrong. And then, honestly, you, you train your mind to be less surprised if it happens. Um, there's been psychologists that have developed mental exercises called pre-mortem. Um, in this exercise, you declare that the project failed spectacularly and 
I mean, obviously the project hasn't launched. This is fictitious, but you ask yourself what went wrong and you go through a what if exercise, then I will, what if instead I'll just, what if, no problem, I always can. And it really, you know, builds up this worst case scenario and it alleviates some of those fears. I mean, you need to be able to anticipate failure and accept what's outside of your control and love everything that happens and persevere and and prepare to start again. I mean, honestly, this this book, these lessons are about perseverance, about surviving even when stuff isn't going your way. And frankly, that's almost every day of our lives. Right. And I, I think, Cody, the uh there there's a, there's several examples in here that I want to make sure that that we talk about at some point but one of them uh that again jumps out is just a reminder that all of these things are practiced and honed and that's one of the biggest takeaways I took was hey really need to focus on this and yeah. and hone be this be mindful be mindful and one of the stories that I loved about it was Ulysses S Grant and the on the concept of nerve and controlling your nerve and he was sitting for a portrait. Um, they were going to take a portrait of him. He was sitting for the portrait. And all of a sudden, this big glass mirror, chandelier, something in the background fell and smashed right beside him. And as this thing hit the ground, the cameraman and those standing around ducked and they ran. And um, the glass apparently even hit part of Ulysses S. Grant's leg. And the story goes that Ulysses S. Grant didn't move. He didn't even react to it. And they were talking about he had honed his nerves so much through war that he wouldn't be disrupted by something like that. And he even says in the book, I can't allow myself to react that way. I mean, that's just such a beast. Think about that. (laughs) That's just such a beast move. I love it. I love it. Um, so number five, and you know, feel free to hop in chat if there's other things that, that you want to make sure that you hit, but the fifth lesson, and, and I think it's great. Um, that we discuss it, especially right now, and it's embracing your fate. And there's a story in here about uh, Thomas Edison's factory burning down at age 67, and it really illustrates this stoic lesson of amor fati, a love of our fate. Edison's entire life's work, his entire life's work, now think about this man, went up in flames And as he watched the fire consume it all, he turned to his son and said, go get your mother and all her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. He was actually embracing this terrible thing that had happened to him in the moment. He told a reporter the next day that he'd been through difficulty like this before. And the upside was that it prevents a man from being afflicted with ennui. He took a million-dollar loan from Henry Ford and rebuilt the operation and had it going again in a matter of weeks. And I it, mean, that is oh, serious. It's, it's incredible. Level that, resiliency. It is. And that, and that again, points back to uh, the Stoicism and the concept of, of the Stoic. And I would encourage you, it's tough reading. Um, but if you can get into the Stoicism readings, a lot of these uh, gentlemen and, and women studied this practice and it's it's certainly a mental practice but it's also a lifestyle practice it is, it is. and it's it's really hard it's not something that you're <laughs> going to master uh quickly but that love love your fate love of your fate um that's a heck of a tool and a reality and again that that points to 
uh, Epictetus and Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and, and the way that the way that they um, thought about things. And if you think about the time when they were writing these things, and by the way, it's not just these gentlemen, presidents, um, if you look at any of their nightstands or be- books by their beds, I guarantee you that uh, Marcus Aurelius, the writings of Seneca, they're, they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're studied by people all over the world. But that concept of love, love, love your fate, and you're 67 years old, and, and all your material and some of your great ideas are burning up in flames, and uh, you have the presence of mind to, to realize that you have no control over it, and we might, might as well watch the fire burn, right? Yeah, it's and, incredible. You know, on, on the concept of fate, you know, there, there's absolutely a story that blew my mind in this book. And I think if you're listening, if you already knew this, kudos to you. But if you didn't, this, I think, will blow your mind. And it's, um, it's really the story of Tommy John, uh, the baseball player. Most yeah, of I, us, didn't, I didn't know this. this, this most of us know Tommy John for the surgery. Um, but I did not realize that Tommy John pitched to both Mickey Mantle and Mark McGuire, that when Tommy John came into the league, John F. Kennedy was president, and when he retired, Ronald Reagan was president. I mean, that's just I mean how many years is that? I mean, we, we hear about Tom Brady, and everybody's super pumped about 42 years old and still playing the league. I'm like, Tommy John pitched to Mickey Mantle and Mark <laughs> McGuire. But that's incredible. the one thing that blew my mind about Tommy John and his mentality was he was a believer that if, if he just had a hint of a chance. And he called it, if I have 1% chance, that's good enough for me. And that's unbelievable. That, and, that kind of attitude, though, I mean, it's just right. And it's special. A, it's special. A, at the time he hurt his elbow, um, you know, that surgery didn't exist. Hence, it's named after him. He talked to a doctor, and the doctor said, look, Major League Baseball players don't come back from this type of in- injury. Um, we can do surgery. Well, what are the odds that I can come back? I don't know, 1%. All right, let's do it. And he comes back and he continues he continues to pitch. As a matter of fact, the Yankees weren't going to have him come to camp, and he pleaded with them for a chance to come to camp. They, they felt he was washed up at this point. He was at the end of his career. He said, if I come to camp, will you give me a fair look? And he was having doubts whether they'd even give him a fair look. They said, fine, if you come to camp, we'll give you a fair look. He's at the end of his career. He's washed up. He's trying to get over this injury. Not only does he come to camp, he starts um, – he starts the, the game opener, the, the season opener, yeah. and I think he only allows like three people on base all day. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just incredible uh, story about um, embracing your fate. Embracing your fate, yeah, totally. And overcoming. Totally. I mean, he, I mean that, that level of resiliency is, is unbelievable, but that's another thing that I want to point out is this isn't just for – people that you view in your mind as superheroes. Um, You can become stronger mentally. You can take on these lessons in your life. This isn't just for the Tommy Johns and the, the emperors of the world and presidents. And this is for you listening out there. And as Chad said, it's going to take practice. I mean, you've gone your whole life thinking one way and these are really um, mentally challenging ideals for a lot of people. And what I've learned from, from really all of this, from going back, you know, probably two years now of really heading down this road of, of being better mentally is that 
it is a practiced skill and you have to remove yourself from almost every single thought that you have and analyze it. And that can be exhausting, but if you can do that, your ability to react will be so much greater than it ever was before. Yeah, the the book points out and stands behind the thought that the path of least resistance is a terrible one. And it points out multiple examples of how moving through those obstacles is what uh, builds the successful individual uh, time and time again. I think that's a great way to end, Chad. And you will come across obstacles in life, fair and unfair. And you will discover time and time again that what matters most is not what these obstacles are, but how we see them, how we react to them, and whether we keep our composure. Stephen Pressfield, author of The Art of War and Gates of Fire, said this about the book. If there's such thing as a cargo pocket handbook for Jedi Knights, this is it. Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way decants in concentrative form the timeless techniques for self-mastery as employed to world-conquering effect by philosophers and men of action from Alexander the Great to Marcus Aurelius to Steve Jobs. Follow these precepts and you will revolutionize your life. As Mr. Holiday writes, it's simple, it's just not easy. Read this book. I wish you all the best out there as you face some of the most difficult times of your career. If we can help you at the next Academy, myself, Chad, Director, Dr. Michael Callanan, or any of our faculty, please do not hesitate to ask. As always, I again challenge you to be the change you want to see. Do not let the voice in your head limit you and your capabilities. You are built for so much more. There's simply no room for complacency in life's equation for success. You are either getting better or getting worse. As with all leadership, it takes discipline. No looking around for excuses, no pointing fingers. It's about accountability, about responsibility. Until next time, attack the days ahead, own your life, and be next. Thanks for listening to the Next Academy podcast, where we focus on construction leadership, brand growth, and staying on offense. Won't Father tell me Do we get what we deserve? Oh, we get what we deserve And we're dying